are listening to the Bible Brush Up Podcast. We are currently in a series called The 90 Days of Promise. We are venturing through the book of Joshua right now. And in our last previous episodes, we looked at how the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and how Joshua is a figure who takes up the position of Moses. And Moses has now died on the other side of the Jordan River, unable to enter the promised land because of some of his shortcomings. But Joshua now... His apprentice is taking the leadership role. He's leading the Israelites into the promised land. Uh, He has communication with God in some of the same ways that Moses did, and he leads the people into battle at Jericho. They are victorious. They have a little setback at Ai um, because of some sin of the people, and this was a good way to demonstrate that faithfulness to God's covenant results in victory, but unfaithfulness results in defeat. And so the Israelites learn their lesson, and they continue to trek forward uh, and win battle after battle after battle. And that has brought us into uh, the teen chapters. Um, so today we are looking at chapters 12 and 13, and I'll be talking about some of the other chapters ahead of this. Um, but as they go through these different provinces and win the battles, it gets to a point where they have declared victory. And as they declare victory, one of the things that is left to do is to divvy up the land, because this is the land that God had promised that would be given to the Israelites. And they are going to divide it up 12 different ways among 12 tribes. Uh, The 12 tribes obviously are not correlating exactly with the 12 sons of Jacob, because the Levites are not going to receive a land portion. They are going to be the priests, and uh, the Bible speaks specifically says in Joshua that their portion is God himself uh, because they directly relate to God and they are the mediators between Israel and God. That is their portion. Uh, They do, however, get some land allotments in cities. They don't get their regions and and what we might demarcate as like a state or a small country. Uh, They get cities that they can put their animals in. And um, so... It it's a reduced version of what everybody else gets, but they do at least have a place for their belongings and for uh, their families and whatnot. Um, but as the land is divided up, we get several records of how the land is divided and even some people that come and make requests, specific requests for certain spots on the map. Uh, They want certain areas to become their own, and some of these uh, accounts are very favorable, and the people coming and requesting these lands receive them. And one of the people of significance that comes and requests a particular land demarcation is Caleb. And we should remember Caleb. Caleb was a significant figure back in the wilderness wandering when the Israelites were ready to enter into the promised land the very first time. And they were going to take it over, and this would have been 40 years prior, or maybe even 45 years prior at this point. They would have gone into the promised land and enjoyed the bounty. They would have been rejoicing in there for for years upon years, um, but because most of the spies who went into the land did not believe that they could take on these giants in the land, um, or at least what they deemed giants in the land, they 
came back and they made the hearts of the people melt and people did not want to go in and risk it all in war. And therefore they were killed off and wandered in the wilderness. But Caleb and Joshua were the two people who said, let's go in, let's live and trust on the promises of God and take over the land. However, we saw that the people sided with the other 10 spies Joshua and Caleb stood by themselves, but because of their faithfulness, they are now entering in the promised land. They are the only people from that generation who did not die out. And so Caleb comes to Joshua, and he reminds him of their unity back then and how they had agreement on uh, entering the promised land. And Caleb wants a certain portion of land. He wants Hebron, or Hebron, and he requests this. And the request comes with this idea that there are still giants in that land, which is ironic. Caleb, 45 years earlier, marched in there and saw in that very location what the Bible refers to as the sons of Anak. And their names were Shishai, Ahimon, and Talmai. And these three sons of Anak are what the people refer to as these giants that made them feel like grasshoppers. And that's why the people wouldn't go in 45 years ago. Well, here's Caleb, who is now an old man, 85 years old. But he says that God has preserved his strength and God has given him a youthfulness that will allow him to go into that location and fight off the giants. So he thought he could take the giants 45 years prior and he still thinks he can take the Giants today uh, because he's not depending on his own strength. It doesn't matter, matter whether he's 40 years old or 80 years old or 180 years old. If God's on his side, he knows he's going to take it. So this is still a demonstration of the faithfulness of Caleb. His faithfulness has not waned over this period of time, which is encouraging uh, that uh, we have people like that in the Scripture who do not grow weary, they do not grow faint-hearted, he remains steady. And so he gets that appointment of land, and in chapter 15, this is a chapter later, after he asks for the land, he goes in and he drives out those three sons of Anak. Um, so that was a, a really significant portion of Scripture, and there are other people who come and request land and get it. Uh, in fact, uh, Caleb even charges uh, anyone who would be willing to go in and, and clear out another location nearby um, that he would give him his daughter. And this figure named Othniel shows up and he says, I'll go and do it. I'll go fight the people at Debir is the name of the place. And he goes in and he drives out the enemies there and clears it out so that the Israelites can inhabit that. And these are all descendants of Judah, by the way. This is in the land of Judah. So it starts to show you the strength of Judah and um, this is where we're going to end up getting King David from, and, and much of the southern kingdom um, is going to be ruled by people from Judah. Now, Othniel is an important name to remember because we're going to get to the book of Judges before too long, and in the book of Judges, this son, or now son-in-law of Caleb, who drove out these enemies and these giants in Debir, he's going to rise up and deliver Israel as a judge. And so his faithfulness and his strength continues for several generations, and uh, just like Caleb's did. So this is, this is all happening in the land of Judah from descendants of Judah. And we'll be able to compare those figures versus some of the other figures that show up from other um, 
nations or, or uh, tribes within Israel and see the comparison between the two. Now, I want to look real quick before we close today at this idea of names, because as you're reading through this inheritance of land and the divvying up of the land, and, and even before this, when they were going through and fighting and conquering different regions and different cities, um, you get a, well, you get bombarded with names. There are names of places, and you probably were scratching your head like, I've never heard of this place, and is it important? Do I need to remember this, or do I just read it and move on? And obviously, it would be really difficult to try to memorize every single one of those names that come at you. Um, I encourage you to maybe start reading with a, a Bible atlas in hand and see if you can follow along with some of these places. In fact, as you read through in order, you'll find that each subsequent place is pretty close to the previous place mentioned most of the time because they're moving through the land in sequence. But one of the things I thought was interesting as I read through this is all the times where it would give a name and then say, that is, and call it another name. And I began to look at that, and there are places um, like the Valley of Rephaim or Kiriath Arba. And it will then turn around and say what the name is today. And so Kiriath Arba was the place where Caleb went into. And it's called Kiriath Arba because Arba, it says, was the father of Anak. And Joshua points that out. The book of Joshua points that out several times. And that's why I first caught this um, and picked up on this, because it was being repeated. And if the Bible's ever repeating something, it's probably worth checking out. And so this was the home of the giants. Now, the giants in the land, um, the early Israelite spies, they compared them to the Nephilim, if you remember back from Genesis chapter 6. But they can't be really the Nephilim because they all died out in the flood. And so what we have are a group of really, really big people, uh, probably upwards to 10 or 11 feet tall. And these people, whether this is genetic mutation that's a deformity or whether this is just a gene pool that has the ability to expand people to really large heights, like some of the uh, NBA players that have come through the ranks before. We've had some eight-footers and, and such. And, and to be in the NBA, you can't just be tall. You have to be coordinated as well. So there are taller people than these guys, uh, but these are the ones that were tall and coordinated enough to play. Um, but you have these really, really large people who stem from this family in this region of Hebron. Uh, so Kiliath Arba was the name previously. But once Caleb and Othniel and these others drive these giants out of the land and they kill them off and they take over this space, the name changes. And so as you read through the book of Joshua, you will see several references of there being a, a place that has a name, but then it says in parentheses, maybe in your Bible, that it now has a new name. And I think that's significant because a lot of these names are associated with the old people and the old ways. Some of the names have the word Baal in them, and some of the words 
um, reference some of the foreign gods that lived in the land, or they reference some of the uh, old kings that lived in those regions. But now, because there are new people, God's new people are entering the land, and they bring with them the worship of Yahweh, not the worship of Baal. They bring with them the worship of the true God, not uh, false gods and false kings, um, but they bring with them truth. Now a lot of these names are being converted over. Now Joshua preserves the old historical reference uh, to these old names because it's good to see the transition that's taking place, and it's good for outsiders who weren't in Israel who are reading these accounts to know um, a like what's actually transpired. Uh, some of them may have still been familiar with some of these names because Joshua probably wasn't writing this too much later on than after these events occur and after these changes occur. Some of these changes may have not happened overnight. Somebody might have just started calling the name of the place Hebron instead of Kiliath Arba. And so maybe half the people were calling it Kiliath Arba and half of the people were calling it Hebron. Uh, but over time, it sort of takes on the new name. Uh, and maybe it started off as like a nickname, but it becomes the, the official name of the place in time. While we're discussing the differences of names that occur over time and regionally, I would like to also talk about the giants that are in the land because the giants have different names depending on who's talking about them. When the Israelites go and scout out the land, they refer to them as the Nephilim, which comes back from Genesis chapter 6. Now, obviously, the Nephilim were all killed out during the flood, but there are still giant people that the Israelites have to battle against in the land. And uh, some of these are sons of Anak that we were just talking about. And obviously, their genetic pool carried with it a gene that resulted in very large offspring. But they weren't the only people who were large in the land because the Amorites had their own group of giants, and they were referred to as the Zumim, and some tribes referred to their large descendants as the Emim. Um, so the different names in different locations and regions, and there is a general word for giants that is used um, often called the Rephaim. And all of these are just indicators that there were very large people in varying tribes that the Israelites were going to have to combat as they took over the Promised Land. And it won't end there because some of these giants are never killed out and their gene pools continue to live on. And David's going to come up against one from the Philistine tribe when he fights Goliath later on. Um, one last thing I'll say is in chapter 15, verse 63, it says the Jebusites remained in the land. They were not able to be driven out. And this is the group of people that are living in Jericho. So for now, we do not have the, the upcoming capital city of Israel in the possession of the Israelites. The place where the temple is going to be, the place where David's going to rule as king, all of that still remains in enemy hands. And so that is a developing story that will finally be resolved when David shows up on the scene. So a lot of this is setting up the narrative of the kingdom and David's reign. And we need to be looking at it from that vantage point, having the benefit of hindsight and knowing that the king is going to come. But we're going to stop there for today, and we'll pick up next time on the Bible Brush Up.